people know that I've had a, a child with cancer and there's all different types of childhood cancer, of course, and everybody is different. For us personally, we had a meal train, which was very helpful. We were, you know, part of that process in a way where we chose the days that we would love to have someone drop us a meal, which were like those long days at the hospital where you yeah. came home and like the last thing you want to think about is, what are we doing for dinner? That was great on certain days. And then other days when you're home, it's like, I kind of want the distraction of just figuring out what's for dinner and doing that today on my own rather than thinking about my sick child the entire day. Welcome to In Conversation series presented by Support Now, where we dive into the messy middle of life's tough times and learn how everyday people make it through. Today, Jordan chats with Caitlin Murray of Big Time Adulting about her family's journey and experience through childhood cancer. Do you or someone you know need support right now? Support Now is an online platform that helps supporters to provide relief in the form of money, meals, and more to individuals and families in tough times. Through a single online experience, supporters can direct their compassion in meaningful ways. Support Now helps people show up when it matters the most. Start a free registry today at supportnow.org. Good morning, Caitlin. Good morning, Jordan. Thank you so much for being here. This is such a treat to be able to meet you in real life, to hear more of your story. For the people that are listening that don't know who you are, you are quite famous <laughs> to moms all over the world with your big time adulting account. So before we jump into our topics today, I'd just love for you to share a little bit more about big time adulting and what people can find on your page. Oh, well, um, I'd be delighted to share. I am a, a chronic oversharer, I would say. I started my big time adulting page like four years ago. So I was pregnant with my third kid and doing crazy dancing around my kitchen and getting people to follow along in like the fun and the madness of what life with kids is, especially in those early years, which is where I was feeling so compelled to talk about the experience of how shockingly difficult I found it to be. And the reason why I actually started sharing had not so much to do with that. My oldest son at the time was in treatment for leukemia, and he had been diagnosed in December 2016. It was obviously an incredibly shocking, life-altering event for our family, for my husband and I, who really fully grasped what was going on. Yeah. And to have your son have to go through your baby, your firstborn, to go through all of that. And I had just been wanting to share how that experience was for me. And so I started writing to family and friends, just emails that were very anecdotal, not just hard facts about what was going on with our son, but just more of the experience of it all as well. And I just found that experience of the writing to be so cathartic and therapeutic to me at that time. And so I eventually compiled it into a blog and I really wanted to write a book, but I had a couple of conversations with people in the book world and 
there is not a lot of book opportunities for people who don't have a platform or an audience already. So that's why I started my page. I was like, you know what? I feel like I have so much to say about motherhood and I had been through so much as a young mom, but also acknowledging the day-to-day challenges of motherhood were really, I'm an overshare. And I'm so glad that you are, because as we all know, Instagram, Facebook, social media is all we see are uh, rainbows and butterflies, unicorns. And so what I think is so unique and so special about you and your page here, most people that come to your page, they view you as a hilarious, maybe even provocative, but honest view on what it's like not just being a mom, but what it's like living in this phase of life. Mm-hmm. What I don't think a lot of people really know about your story are the tough times that you've been through. And I think that so much of what you experience with your oldest, with Callum, is important because here you are, you were kind of placed in a really difficult position and you found a way to move forward, push forward and shine this light in a really positive way. So what I would love to know is on the Callum situation, mm-hmm. Talk to me a little bit about when you found out that Callum had cancer and just what happened in those days, weeks after that diagnosis. Yeah. So it was right around the holidays. It was Christmas time. And leading up to Christmas that year, my son was really not well. Like he just was definitely not himself. And I could see that something was something more deep was going on with his health and I didn't know what it was but I was really scared and I'm prone to health anxiety so I was like really scared and there was a brunch at my mother-in-law's house the day after Christmas and it was like that's the day of the year where like you're exhausted you know you've been going at the holiday festivities for weeks on end it feels like and it was just like supposed to be a great nice day to relax and eat good food and I couldn't even get Callum to like take a bite of cake at this brunch that was at my mother-in-law's house and I was like sick with worry and I had been to the doctor with him like twice within the last week to keep checking on him. It was sort of like he probably just has a cold and a flu at the same time or one after another. It's the cold and flu season but it just, it wasn't sitting right with me. So I took him back to the doctor. Like I just got up in the middle of that brunch and I took him to our pediatrician. I said, I'm not leaving without blood work. And within a couple of hours, we had the results of the blood work back. It was indicative that something was incredibly wrong. And I think at that moment when they called to, actually when we got the phone call from our doctor to report what was found on the blood work, It was like, you have to go to the hospital right now with Callum to the children's hospital locally. So it was like a fire drill from that moment on. And yeah, it was just like that minute your life changed forever. Because I think even though we didn't have like the definitive testing of the bone marrow and all of that yet, we were pretty sure what the diagnosis was that we were dealing with, given like what his blood work looked like was, was showing. And so you go through this time of like, this is completely surreal. Is this really happening? And please, God, let this be a dream. I just want to wake up. I can't believe my three-year-old has cancer. And it was real. And we spent the better part of the next month in the hospital with him, 
getting him to a point where he was stable enough. They start treatment right away. And it was all of this massive learning curve of what we would be going through for the next three, almost three and a half years of his treatment. So and uh, something like that, I imagine it's mental, it's emotional, it's physical for you. It's, yeah. it's all of the things. Mm-hmm. I would love to know everyone receives and accepts support differently. When you first found out and you were basically living at the hospital, what were the things that you needed? It sounds like writing, you've already alluded to this, writing was one outlet for you to get your thoughts out and process your emotions. But talk to me about what were the things that you and your husband needed in that moment? I think that at the very beginning, it's hard to put your finger on what you need. Like it's not, doesn't really feel like real life quite yet. So you're really just processing what's happening for a while. But there were just like immediate signs of people's love, things being sent to us at the hospital and for Callum and things to like brighten his day. I think at that time, you're really focused on the person who's sick, the child, and helping their day be as pleasant as you can through all of the horrible things that they're going through. Your community, childhood cancer is, it's the worst. Mm -hmm. It's the absolute worst. What would you say to people that are in a similar situation where they have a friend whose kid is sick and they're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to help them. Mm -hmm. What would your advice be for them? I get asked that question all the time through my platform because people know that I've had a, a child with cancer and there's all different types of childhood cancer, of course, so I can't speak to and everybody is different. People's levels of comfort are different with attention, gifts, help, etc. For us personally, I felt like, well, we had a meal train, which was very helpful. We were, you know, part of that process in a way where we chose the days that we would love to have someone drop us a meal, which were like those long days at the hospital where you came home and the last thing you want to think about is, what are we doing for dinner? So that was great on certain days. And then other days when you're home, it's like, I kind of want the distraction of just figuring out what's for dinner and doing that today on my own rather than thinking about my sick child the entire day. So it varies for everybody, but that was one thing. And then another thing, like, I feel like there's no right thing to do or wrong thing to do per se in those situations, but people who just show up and just express their thoughts and their love and who do that consistently without any pressure on you to respond, reciprocate, whatever, you know, you feel that when it's just a very non-invasive way of showing support, right? Because yeah. to your point, like you mentioned it earlier, there is a bit of decision fatigue. You don't know what you need. Yeah. So sometimes you just need the person to do it for you. Yes. And that person may never be told thank you in a, quote, proper manner, mm-hmm. but it's appreciated and it's remembered in a really special way. Is there an example or a situation where someone just did something for you that just really stood out that you didn't ask for, but it made a big difference? Uh, Maybe it was a gift. Maybe it was something for your daughter, Faye. I'm curious if anything, any one person or situation stands out. There were certainly like 
gifts that came in from people that we were like, oh my God, I can't believe they sent us that. So sweet. You know, just like old teammates of my husband's that we hadn't seen in years, but just were like, here's this giant teddy bear for Callum. And Faye was really little when Callum was diagnosed. He was three. She was one. So there was very, like, no understanding on her part of what was going on around there. But yeah. I think she appreciated <laughs> the influx of toys and presents that came along. And that's great because you can't go anywhere or do anything with a sick child, really, who's immune compromised. You're stuck inside the home for pretty much all of the time. You don't go into public spaces. You have your outdoor time and stuff. So things that they can do is always really helpful and things that are not like have to be involved with the parents. Like I really don't want to figure out the science kit with you right now, guy. Can we just get something you can use without my intervention, please? So that was all great when there's a child involved to have things for them to do. There were friends of ours that just would intermittently at random just drop things like in a way that it's just like, it's just so nice that you know that they're just thinking of you. Yeah. You know, it's very touching. And, so. and it was such a long journey. I think you've talked about this before. It was it was like a three-year... Over process. three years. Yeah, it was three years and three months or three years and four months, which was a huge shock at the beginning. Like, I had no understanding of what a treatment protocol for childhood leukemia looked like. And to find out that my three-year-old would be in treatment for longer than he was even alive at that point was a really mind-altering thing to come to terms with. Like, what the hell are we going to do? So let me ask you this. Was there any one family member or friend that was kind of your, like, key lieutenant? Like, who was kind of helping manage? Because I'd imagine that there was an abundance of community support. There was no shortage of people that wanted to love mm -hmm. on you your husband and the kids. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, how did you manage that? How did you, was there anyone or did you do it yourself where you said, no, I'll, I'll manage the influx of text messages and, and emails? How, do, how was that managed? I definitely managed like the influx of text messages and emails and did all of the, the family correspondence at that time. It's kind of my jam. So I was fine doing that. But having an immune compromised person in the mix, there's not a lot of people that you want to be around your child at the time that they're going through certain treatments, especially. But our immediate families were really amazing to us. And, you know, we have a couple of close friends that were in the mix with us as well. But it's a tight knit group and there are people you can always depend on. But I think that's a really important point. I think that some people kind of look at these tough times and think that there has to be someone else that's kind of running this because the family themselves might be too overwhelmed. But what you're saying is in some cases, that's a way of coping. That's a way of helping you because it seems to me that you were looking for some normalcy. You were looking mm -hmm. for it not to feel so, so different than your life before. Yeah, to be totally honest, too, there was this whole like other feeling of overwhelm that I was going through as a mom at that time, which was, I don't know how I'm mentally going to get through these next three years of being on lockdown with my little kids. And we had just gotten to the point where Callum was in entering a school program, like he was in his first year of a few hours in the morning going to school a few days a week, which at that time as a mom feels like this 
massive relief to you. You're like, oh my goodness, I've got two and a half hours to go to the grocery store and do a workout and take a shower while my baby's napping, you know, while I have one baby at home. So it was just for me, which is a lot of what I talk about on social media is the pressure and the isolation and all of that of being home with little kids. This was like that feeling on steroids. So it was definitely a time where I was the distraction of writing to people throughout the day and having something to engage my mind in a way that was outside of just caretaking, caretaking, caretaking is was a nice distraction for me at that and, time. And even as I'm talking to you, it's so beautiful to me that you've been able to process this horrible moment that you went through. And thankfully, by the way, Callum is healthy, correct? Yeah. And still kind of go on Instagram and be honest that it's still hard. It's still tough. You're grateful. Like you went through this horrible, horrible three-year stretch where you had to see your kids sick. And it's okay to still complain about the day-to-day. It's still okay mm-hmm. to say that it's hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one thing does not equal the other. You know, they're separate. It's like you can be incredibly grateful and thankful for your beautiful, healthy children and also acknowledge that within that experience, there's hardship and difficulty and frustration. And I think that going through what I did with Calm was really, I've said this like a lot of times, I felt like I had a license to say whatever I wanted about what motherhood was like behind the scenes with the struggle of little kids, babies, and toddlers. And not everybody feels like that. You know, like some people are just love babies, toddlers, newborns. And I'm like, no, no, I don't, I need autonomy. But yeah, so I felt like I've been in this. I've been like at home with my kids doing it all to the next level. And it was like, that's no sweat off my back. What would you say to a mom that's in your situation right now on how to ask for help or how to process the support coming in? Because you said like, it can be overwhelming. It's wonderful. Mm -hmm. And it can be overwhelming. Mm -hmm. I'd imagine you've had friends, maybe it's not childhood cancer, hopefully it's not childhood cancer. But what have you said to your friends that are now going through tough times? What advice have you given them? Yeah, I have had friends who now have had kids with cancer, too, because I've become friends with them through that terrible mutual experience. But you do need a timeout. So you have to figure out who you can ask to be that person to offer you your timeouts, whether it's, you know, taking turns with your spouse or a trusted family member or friend or caretaker and a babysitter or nanny or something like that. You got to get your head clear every now and again and get outside and take a walk or just do something for yourself, have dinner with a friend, whatever it might be, have dinner with your spouse. It's really necessary for you to maintain for that kind of period of time. That was, I knew I was going to be in that for over three years. It's like, I can't be the one and only here all day, every day for three years. I had to trust other people to help me. And I had a hard time asking for help. So that was a a learning experience for me to just be able to accept help as well. I would be very much like the type of person where someone would ask if I needed help with anything. I don't know, I'll do it myself. I got, you know, whatever. And when Callum was sick, I realized like there just there were things I just couldn't do all by myself. You couldn't do it all the time. Yeah. 
So how has that impacted how you've supported people through tough times? You know, I think like I just try to be a good friend when people are going through something hard. And I go the route of like trying to be that consistent person who checks in to see how you're doing. And by the way, um, you're on my mind. I haven't forgotten about you and what you're going through. And I love you and I'm thinking of you. And I think that people maybe underestimate the power of those small pieces of communication that you don't want everybody banging down your door every day trying to help you with everything. Like you've got your people who are going to do that stuff and you kind of like know the boundary of where it's appropriate to offer help in ways outside of those types of communications. But that stuff is really meaningful when you get those little check-ins with people who are just thinking of you. Well, because you said it's three years. Yeah. I'd imagine there's kind of a stampede of support at the very, very beginning Mm -hmm. because everyone's hearing this news. They're shocked. Everyone is inspired to do something. Mm -hmm. And it's a long journey. So it can be, I'm sure it felt isolating at times, although it sounds like you had a tremendous community continuously checking in. But I always say this, like the little things matter. Mm -hmm. Don't lose sight. You don't have to do the big grand gesture to feel like you've done something. In fact, it might feel even better if you set a reminder every two or three weeks to just check in because it feels less isolating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had some friends who were just so good about that with me that I really appreciated it because it wasn't like, sometimes I feel like when you go too long without reaching out to somebody, especially in situations like that, it's overwhelming of where to even begin a conversation. Like, oh my God, this is going to be a two-hour conversation. When am I going to have time to call this person? And if you just don't let let it get away from you, if you just kind of keep after it, that you don't have to make it such a big deal. You just do it. And I think a lot of supporters feel like if you didn't reach out right away. Yeah. Or that you've missed a wind. Right. And so then there's awkwardness for the people that didn't know what to do at the beginning because maybe they were uncomfortable reaching out and now they feel like they've lost their window to reach out. Yeah, I think it's important to say too, like even having been through a situation where people are providing all this outreach and you're, you've gone through a tough experience like that, that I even still have difficulty knowing how, when, what is right reaching out to people in those scenarios because you just don't know how everyone's processing things, how they're going through things. I do know that something is always better than nothing and it's never too late. That's how I would feel like. And I, you're also like, as a person going through something, very overwhelmed and like not really focused on, you're not keeping score about who's reaching out or not. You know, you're not dinging anyone for not having contacted you yet. It just always is meaningful when somebody does. I mean, even if somebody I hadn't heard from reached out to me today to say, hey, I never really was able to check in with you when Callum was sick and what's going on and how are you guys? I'd be like, that's so nice, you know? And it sounds like to supporters don't necessarily have an expectation that you might get a response. Right. Yeah. Because you can't get to everything. Yeah. Yeah. You have to offer that just fully intrinsically out of the goodness of your heart, not looking for anything in return, obviously, from the other person. So as we wrap up, just tell me kind of where Callum is in his health journey. Where are you guys now? He is about to turn 10. So he finished his treatment in March of 2020, which was 
not great timing for the world. <laughs> um, we were hoping to like go somewhere together um, as a family, and I was like, nope, back home, sit down, lock. We have a plan. God, yeah, yeah, exactly. So that was hard, but. The only thing that's ever mattered to me from day one of what happened with Callum is that he would be okay in the end, and he is okay. And so we are by far the lucky ones, and I consider myself lucky and blessed every day, despite having gone through something difficult. Life is difficult. You know, you, you something could happen at any given moment. You don't take this day, this minute for granted. That's all we're ever guaranteed anyway. But Callum is, you would not know that he had been through anything like that. If you saw him today, he is healthy, happy, active. And when he is five years post-treatment, so in about two more years, two and a half more years, sorry, year and a half, I can't do math right now, <laughs> he will be considered cured. So do you, I noticed that the last question, but I'm just curious, do you talk about it as a family still? Like, how do you you want to move forward and it's still a big part of your family's history and the and present. So how do you both talk about it with him and your other kids? Yeah, we talk about it all the time and revisit that time. And I try to bring it up with him and say, oh, do you remember this or do you remember that? And I'll show them pictures and of times we were in the hospital, times my daughter came to the hospital with him and, and you know, like the playroom at the hospital. And we try to keep the story alive for both of Callum and Faye. Luke has no idea at this point, my four-year-old, but one day we'll explain it to him too. He's definitely, it's going to be way <laughs> over his head. So yeah, I anticipate that he will experience his feelings about what he's gone through differently at different phases of his life. Like certain questions might come up along the way. There have been things that we've been told, you know, like this could potentially affect Callum's reproductive systems and like that. I have faith that he will do just fine, but those are conversations that we'll, we'll have along the way. And I'd really not like it to be like, what, you never told me about this or that in five, 10 years from now. So it's keeping very honest, keeping it transparent. Yeah. Even when cured, it's still a major part of his, it will be a major part of his story forever. Yeah. Yeah. As the implications last longer than obviously the treatments and all of that. Yeah. Well, that wraps up this line of questioning before I move to our lightning round. Anything else that you feel compelled to share that feels appropriate in this context? I don't know. You know, I feel like when you're going through an experience like that, it's obviously a day-to-day -day a really hard thing to endure as a family, as a mother. But I will say, because of the outcome, particularly of our situation, that I definitely can appreciate that there were silver linings to that experience. And like the tightness of our family unit is I think tremendous and I hope it always is that way and that when we were kind of stuck together for so long and in those early years um, going through something that was like heavily emotional that it really bonded us in a way that was beautiful so yeah there's some beauty in it yeah there's some beauty in it okay cool so what we're gonna do is seven questions okay um favorite number 
I had a feeling. Kind of all in the same spirit, of course. Would you prefer food or money for food? Food. Do you believe in prayer? Yes. Flowers or no flowers? No flowers. Biggest change you've made since Callum beat cancer? Processing my anxiety better. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, one word to describe Callum? Sensational. And one word to describe yourself? Funny. <laughs> you are funny. You are real. And you are a light to so many people. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to share this part of your story. Because I do think that people get lost in just the hilariousness and the rawness <laughs> of everything that you do. And you have this beautiful point of view on life that is so central to just how life happens. Life happens. Yeah. And you are a testament to what happens when tough times happen and you push forward. So thank you so, so much uh, for allowing me to sit down with you. This is a, a true, true privilege for me. Thanks so much, Jordan. It was a privilege for me too. You caught me getting emotional. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for tuning in to In Conversation series by Support Now. We hope today's journey has provided insights and strategy for times of grief. Remember, if you or someone you know is facing challenging times, Support Now is here to assist. To learn more or start a free registry, visit us at supportnow.org.